The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Linda House. I am the president of the Cancer Support Community, and today I am filling in for your host, Kim Tebaldo, as she is off. The wellness community and Gilda's clubs have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. And I will also mention that our services are provided by a telephone helpline, and I will give that number a number of times throughout the show, and that is 888-793-9355. Today we're going to talk about smoking cessation. According to the Center for Disease Control, it remains the single largest preventable cause of disease and death in the United States. Cigarette smoking alone kills more than 480,000 Americans each year, with more than 41,000 of these deaths being from exposure to secondhand smoke. It's no shock anymore that there's a link between smoking and cancer. And if you have been watching The Emperor of All Maladies, that uh, connection and the the early days of discovery have been well documented in that particular documentary. Many of us have grown up hearing about the link between health and tobacco since we were kids, and by now we think we've heard it all. But for many people, cigarette smoking is still a part of their daily life and a very hard habit to break. Many people also think that if they haven't quit smoking by now, they probably won't ever be able to, even if they are one day faced with a cancer diagnosis. We know that Patients who do stop smoking after they've received a cancer diagnosis, in fact, have improved um, outcomes. So we wanted to draw the attention to this today and have a show talking about how do you quit use of tobacco for good. So joining us today in this effort is the queen of quitting, B.J. Slate, who is an expert in this particular field. Someone herself who has called it quits after her breast cancer diagnosis when she was 32 years old. B.J. gave up gave her first Stop Smoking workshop in 1990, just one month after she put out her last cigarette. And since then, helping others become smoke-free has become a passion and personal mission. 
BJ has a master's degree in health psychology and behavioral medicine and has been trained at the Mayo Clinic as a tobacco treatment specialist. She's a passionate speaker traveling nationally to educate healthcare providers on how to effectively motivate patients to quit and smokers on how to develop a successful plan. She offers both individual and group counseling in Southern California. As a cancer advocate, she is active locally as a legislative ambassador for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network. She's the chairperson of the Coalition for Tobacco-Free Communities, serving Riverside County, and is a member of Tobacco Use Reduction Now in San Bernardino County. In 2010, VJ didn't have to wonder if becoming smoke-free was the right decision when she received a second cancer diagnosis. Instead, she felt relief at having quit when she did. If she had continued smoking, the cancer may have come back sooner, been more aggressive, and she might not be here today. The reoccurrence has only escalated her desire to help smokers who want to quit and get the resources that they need. Also, for anyone who's listening today, VJ is offering a free PDF copy of her book, which is called Tips to Win at Quitting. You can send her an email, and we will repeat all of this in the show, but her email address is vjslate, S-L-E. E-I-G-H-T at C-S dot com. If you mention this show, she'll make sure to get you that file of the, co- of the book. For other information about quitting or helping others quit, please also visit her blog at stopsmokingstayquit.blogspot.com. And again, we will repeat all of this later in the show, so you can grab a, a pen and a piece of paper now. We're happy to have you with us, VJ. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Linda. I think this is really an important topic to not only just cancer patients, but everyone who's who's listening. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and the more we can make people aware, uh, the, the, the better. So why don't we start by um, talking about your journey? You have had an interesting path getting here as a cancer survivor. And tell us more about, about your journey and, and what you're doing today. Well, as you mentioned, I first had cancer when I was 32 years old, and this was back in 1987, and things were certainly a whole lot different back then. I was originally scheduled for a radical mastectomy. Lumpectomies were fairly new, and because of my young age, I was really told, no, that wasn't really an option for me, and I really had to fight for it. And then even afterwards, when I talked to oncologists, I actually talked to 10 different oncologists, and I got 10 different ideas of what I should be doing as far as chemotherapy or no um, continued therapy. It was very confusing. It was only um, after I had discontinued chemotherapy that they came out with a protocol for somebody my age. And then afterwards, you know, I went on for years. It was actually almost 23 years after my first diagnosis when I got the um, diagnosis of a second cancer, a reoccurrence, which completely threw me. But today I'm doing great, and I've really seen the changes that have happened over uh, a period of years that have to do with cancer. And unfortunately, there's still too many people that, that die from it, and I just feel that I was really just lucky that um, things turned out the way they did. And so talk to us about um, your smoking history and, and how you've really been um, shaped to, to make a positive difference for people. 
Well, I'm like most people. I started as a teenager. I was 14 years old, and I would sneak cigarettes from my mom's pack and go behind the, the, the school and smoke the cigarettes. But I think that I was fairly addicted young. By the time I was 16, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And I always wanted to quit. I didn't really want to be a smoker, and I'd quit for a day here, a day there. And actually, in 1987, I went to a, a program by the American Cancer Society, and I quit. And it was three months later that I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, in 1987, no one at that time associated my cancer with smoking, but since then, studies have shown that I may have been one of the, the few that did fall into a group that uh, smoking may have contributed to my cancer. But at that time, there was no connection seen. So while the doctors did ask if I smoked, I, would, I said no. They never asked me, though, if I had been a smoker. And looking back, I was at high risk for a relapse, and I really could not handle the stress of going through surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation without my cigarettes. And during chemotherapy, I relapsed, and I went back to smoking. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is really stupid. Here I am. I'm throwing up from the chemotherapy, and I got a cigarette going in the ashtray. And so what followed for me was a three-year battle of trying to give up my cigarettes. Now, back then, uh, nicotine replacement hadn't even come out when I was trying to quit smoking. And when it did, then it was a prescription medication. So I was pretty much on my own. I repeated the American Cancer Society's Stop Smoking program several times, but I would always relapse. And finally, the facilitator said, BJ, if you want to quit for good, teach somebody else. And so the last time I relapsed, I realized her words were true. And so I started as a volunteer with the American Cancer Society doing their cessation program, which I continued for five years. Now, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, what I really thought was, wow, am I going to die? And if I did, nobody's really going to miss me. I'm not married. I don't have any children. And I've really done nothing with my life. And so I'd made a promise to myself that I was going to make my life worthwhile. Now, I didn't know what that meant. But from the very first cessation class that I gave, I connected with those smokers. I knew exactly what they were going through and how difficult it is. And I have found my passion. And since then, um, as you mentioned, I'd gone back to school, and that's when I got my master's degree, and I went to the Mayo Clinic and was trained. But I come from a perspective of being a former smoker and knowing how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine, you know, not having smoked, I can only imagine the relatability that those attendees had with with you, you know, really being there with them and really understanding their their challenge. And I think that continues today. Even though I've quit many years ago, I Mm -hmm. had my last cigarette August 19th in 1990, I still do remember all of those feelings and everything. And over the years, I've helped thousands and thousands of smokers become smoke-free. And so I think my approach is really different. You know, there's four kinds of people in the world. You you just mentioned that you've never smoked. Well, you're a never smoker. You have absolutely no clue what it's like to experience the benefits of smoking, the enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And I probably those words even sound foreign to you, like who could have any enjoyment or benefits from smoking? But smokers know what I'm talking about. Um, then you've got the, the ex-smokers, and sometimes they can even be worse because they'll say, if I can quit, anybody can quit. 
and this is what I, I tried everything and nothing worked, but this is what I used. And oftentimes they can be demoralizing to smokers struggling through their own battle. They're at the end of a journey that someone who's trying to quit is just starting. And the method that someone else used may not work for that person. And they even may put down the different reasons or the methods that someone uses. Then you've got smokers who are struggling to quit and who it's kind of like putting... Quitting smoking is kind of like putting together a puzzle, and some of the pieces are missing. So try as you might, you can't even see the whole picture because you've got pieces missing. And it's this trial and error method that most smokers go through trying to figure out the whole smoking cessation picture. And then you've got some smokers who, and there are very few nowadays, who say, you know what, I'm not going to quit. I, I don't want to quit. And And for those folks, I, I, I really think they just don't know yet that they want to quit. Um, but eventually, I believe that they will. And so I come with a different perspective because most people in the healthcare profession, profession have actually either been a never smoker, and while they've been trained, they don't have the mindset of a smoker like I do. And even if they're a former smoker, I've met several who in the healthcare profession, you know, still have that attitude. Well, this is the way I did it. And so you need to do the same thing that I did. And that's mm-hmm. simply not true. We are going to run to a quick commercial break, and I am going to repeat the information quickly that we gave just a little while ago at the top of this uh, segment. So, Vijay, you have been kind to offer a free PDF copy of your book, which is called Tips to Win at Quitting. If our listeners just send you an email mentioning this show, um, you will be happy to provide that to them. So thank you very much for that. And for our listeners, uh, Vijay's email address is V, as in victory, J, Slate, S-L-E-I-G-H-T, at C as in cat, S as in Sam, dot com. VJ Slate at CS dot com. We will be right back after this short break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices 
I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, filling in for Kim Thibodeau, who is away. Today, we're talking about why it's time to call it quits with tobacco. And joining me is tobacco treatment specialist and author of How to Win at Quitting Smoking, VJ Slate. I do want to just quickly mention that today's Frankly Speaking About Cancer program is sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology and Onyx Pharmaceutical, an Amgen subsidiary. So, VJ, I want to just step back and piggyback onto something that you said right before we went to break, and I think it is so true, and I love how you've delineated the, the types of people and really the relatability to, to each of them. Um, so can you speak a little bit about about your healthcare team and when you were going through your three-year journey to quit smoking, what support did you get or didn't you get um, as you were going through that? I actually got no support from my healthcare specialist because they didn't even know that I had relapsed back to smoking. And I think this, if there's any healthcare professionals listening, I think this is why it is so very important to take a detailed history about tobacco use. I had quit three months before my diagnosis, so when they asked me, I truthfully said, no, I don't smoke, but I was at high risk for relapse, and when I did, I didn't think even to mention it to them that I had started smoking again. I did not realize that this could impact my care at all, and so they really didn't even know that I was smoking again, and that's really critical when somebody, especially someone... Now, I was lucky that I had not relapsed while I was going through radiation because there are connections between smoking and radiation. That's that's dangerous. And the effects with chemotherapy is oftentimes the, the nicotine interferes with the effectiveness not only of chemotherapy but other medications. And so it's really important that your doctor know that you are smoking and mine didn't. And so um, who knows whether that would have in, that impacted my care or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there's some element for some patients where they just don't want to admit that, where you know they may they may not have it as a top of mind? I need to, to inform pay, the the healthcare team, but they might be afraid of what the healthcare team will say to them. Absolutely, there's still a lot of stigma out there for being a smoker, and I have talked to doctors who who say, well, they've they caused it themselves, and we we need to get away from this. And actually, mm-hmm. I want to piggyback on something that you said in the introduction because you called it a hard habit to break, and we need to really understand this is an an addiction to nicotine, and that's mm-hmm. what re, that is the reason why it is so hard to quit smoking, is nicotine hijacks the survival instinct of a person's brain. You know when you smoke a cigarette, it takes about 10 seconds or about 10 heartbeats to hit your brain. Now, that's faster than um, if you were mainlining heroin into your, your veins. 
And from that very first cigarette that someone tries, nicotine changes the structure of a person's brain. And addiction can happen in as few as 100 cigarettes. Now, that doesn't mean within that 100 cigarettes are going to become a daily smoker. But what it means is nicotine has already started to change the structure of that person's brain. And that continues on for the rest of their life. People really underestimate how addictive nicotine is and how much it has changed that smoker's brain. Now, inside the brain, we all have these chemicals floating around, and there's one called dopamine, which is the I-feel-good neurotransmitter. Now, when nicotine hits your brain, it fits into a very specific receptor. It's called an alpha-4-beta-2 nicotine acetylcholine receptor, and if anybody remembers that, you get a gold star. (laughs) Just remember, there's a very specific receptor in the brain. When nicotine fits into there, it releases a flood of dopamine, and that's that I feel good sensation. And so smokers will start smoking to get that I feel good sensation, but within a very short period of time, the brain becomes conditioned to want that nicotine, and it starts craving that nicotine, and before too long, it needs that nicotine. So smoking is not just a bad habit. It is a true physical addiction that needs to be handled with um, medication and support, behavioral support. There are a lot of things that we can do to help smokers, but we need to stop stigmatizing smokers that it's just a bad habit and your willpower can overcome it because your willpower is not stronger than that survival instinct. And oftentimes with smokers, a craving will feel like, I'm going to die or go crazy if I don't have a cigarette. That's a real sensation. And I know every smoker listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. And so for someone to say, ah, just put it down and walk away, you know, that's just not realistic. Without support, 95% of people who try to quit smoking on their own are going to uh, relapse within six months to a year. And so, you know, our health care profession, I've seen a lot of changes, and I think about my own oncology team, and they have to know so much about what's going on with cancer and everything. It's, it, I think it's almost unrealistic to expect them to also be an expert in cessation, but what they should be doing is encouraging smokers to um, find the treatment they need. And we have free telephone counseling across the country at 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They can call that line, and they'll be connected to their local state um, cessation line, quit line. Um, but they should be talking to their smokers and really have sympathy for them that, that this is really difficult. And, and like me, I relapsed during chemotherapy. I know how difficult it is going through this diagnosis. And smoking does offer some relief. Um, and oftentimes smokers don't want to quit while they're going through this tremendous stress. So we need to, to back off but also be supportive, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I like that you pointed out for our listeners who may, in fact, still be smoking and haven't disclosed that to your healthcare professional, even though you are afraid of facing, you know, a comment that might, you know, reinforce this stigma, the point that having nicotine in your system may, in fact, have an adverse effect on your treatment. Would, Unfortunately, yes. We would really encourage you to to take that consideration over the fear of of, of what you might hear, um, because it's really important that you know what does impact your treatment in a negative way. And I say that about vitamins as well. 
Well, and it's also important because, you know, smoking is, you know, most smokers, well, I would, not even most, all smokers know that smoking is related to lung cancer, but what most smokers don't realize is that it's related to 30% of all cancers. It's not just lung cancer anymore, and it would not surprise me that it's linked to almost every cancer because while nicotine is the, the drug that uh, causes the physical addiction, that's really not what causes the cancer. There are 7,000 chemicals in cigarette smoke. There's 69 that are cancer-causing, cancer-promoting, or poisonous. And so it's these other chemicals that build up in our system. And, you know, our lungs are a very efficient way of getting oxygen directly to our brain because oxygen is so important. Well, when inhalation, when it goes into your system, those chemicals go directly into your blood system. And as we all know, our bloodstream goes to every cell in our body and it's dropping off those harmful chemicals. And so it's not just lung cancer. When I had mentioned that I had breast cancer, there are studies now that are showing that women, a very subset of women like me who have never had children, um, may who smoke or be exposed to secondhand smoke may be at an increase, at twice the increased risk for developing breast cancer. What we're also finding out now is women who smoke through their pregnancy, which my mother did, their daughters um, also are at a higher risk for breast cancer. And so it's not just lung cancer anymore. So if you, even if you've been diagnosed with something else, we don't want a different primary cancer to pop up um, if you continue smoking. So let's just answer what seems to be a, a simple question, but absolutely is not a simple question. There's no simple answer to it. How does one go about stop quitting smoking? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, it's different for every single person. And mm-hmm. so first of all, it starts with the desire. You have to want to, instead of being nagged, shamed, or blamed by your friends, your family, or even your doctor, you really have to want to do it for yourself, and it's building motivation. But the reality of it is, is most smokers, they don't want to quit. Why would we want to quit and give up all the enjoyment that we get to get from smoking? Oftentimes, the last smokers, why do you smoke? Well, I enjoy it. It relaxes me. It relieves my stress. It does all these wonderful things. Who would want to give up something like that? And actually, you don't have to want to quit to stop. But you have to want something more than that cigarette, and that's becoming smoke-free. There are benefits to being smoke-free. And that is, it sounds like it's, I'm splitting hairs, but there's really a motivational difference between those two. One is a feeling of deprivation. You know, I'm giving up my cigarettes. I really don't want to do this. But what is it that you really want? Now, for me, my journey was I want to be healthy. I was so young. And I said, you know, if the cancer comes back, I don't want to say it's something that I did to myself. I really wanted to be healthy. And so that was my motivation was focusing on health. And over the years, I had to do a lot of different things. That meant, you know, changing my diet, starting an exercise program. I stopped drinking. You know, I I did a lot of different things all for the benefit of improving my health. Because I was so young, I knew I was at high risk. And that's why in your introduction, when my reoccurrence came back, um, which I was really surprised, I was really thankful that um, it wasn't aggressive. And it could have come back sooner. I, my body tends to grow tumors, and at one time I grew a tumor on my back within two weeks. 
And I remember talking to my mother saying, you know, I'm going to be really upset if this is cancer because I've done all the right stuff. And what she said to me, she says, maybe it won't be cancer because you have done all the right stuff. And that stuck with me. But we start with motivation, finding out what is it that's going to help you become smoke-free. Next, you have to have a plan. Smokers don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. And oftentimes they'll just say, well, I'm going to just, you know, use a patch. Well, that is one tool. But, you know, we smoke 20 cigarettes a day. The average smoker smokes 20 cigarettes a day. You may need a different tool for each one of those cigarettes. You know, we have a cigarette that we have at with a cup of coffee, after a meal, driving in the car, when we get in a fight with our spouse, uh, when we're frustrated. So we have different triggers that are connected to every different cigarette. And just using a medication, all that does is that, that takes the edge off of the nicotine withdrawal, but we need to actually learn how to live our whole life without our cigarettes, and that's a huge task, huge task. Most people uh, quit, relapse, quit, relapse, quit, relapse like I did. I call myself the queen of quitting because I've quit for at least three months, nine separate times. And what you find is each time that you stop, you'll learn different tools. And I call it the toolbox approach. You, you get, well, at one time, you know, what do I do with my hands? I had to learn what do I do with my hands if, it, if I don't have a cigarette in there. Um, how do you learn to deal with stress? How do you learn? For me, it was anger. I, I didn't know how to have a conversation with someone. If I was mad to them, I would smoke at them instead. So there's a lot of different connections. What makes it very difficult is every smoker is different. And what will work for one smoker will doesn't work for um, someone else. You know, every method out there will work for some smokers. There is no method that will work for every smoker, and, and that's what makes it so difficult is finding out what works for you as an individual. It really is about a process and not an event. You know, quitting smoking is not just to put them down and walk away, but it's a process that you move through, moving in from thinking, you know, I don't really want to quit smoking to, yeah, I want to, but I still enjoy my cigarettes, and it's resolving that ambivalence to moving on to creating a plan that, that you can be successful. And then once you actually do stop smoking, you got to avoid relapse. So many smokers will quit for a period of time, and then they relapse, and there's two different relapse phases. And you mentioned in my book, I go into that in depth because often in a very short period of time, smokers will think, ah, I got this beat. And then six months later, they relapse. Mm -hmm. And they haven't developed the tools they needed to prevent that relapse. BJ, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the, the relapse phases. I think it'll be helpful for people to hear. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And this episode is sponsored in part by Amgen Oncology and Bristol Myers Squibb. Just stick with us after this quick break and we'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am your guest host today, Linda House, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, and I am joined by tobacco treatment specialist and author of the book, How to Win at Quitting Smoking, V.J. Slate. As a reminder, V.J. is offering a free PDF copy of her book, Tips to Winning at Quitting. If you will just send her an email at vjslate at cs.com and just mention this show. Um, Vijay, I want to, let's back up just a couple of steps. You were, we were saying, well, why is it so difficult for people to quit? And um, you said that there, there needs to be a a, a reason for quitting. And I'm wondering if you could just speak to things like, um, you know, the data that we have about people doing better on their treatments if they quit smoking. And I know that you have some thoughts about, um, about secondhand smoke. And so I'm just wondering if you can talk, talk first about the, the, the concept of secondhand smoke. And is that something that the smoker can, worries about? Is that something that people that are around the smoker should worry about? And then I want to go back to your, your conversation about relapse. But talk, talk about secondhand smoke for, for a minute. You know, the tobacco companies will tell you that secondhand smoke never hurt anybody, just like they've been lying to us for years that it never caused cancer. And technically that's true, but secondhand smoke is a real misnomer because that is the smoke that, you know, a smoker will inhale and then they exhale, that's secondhand smoke. That's not really the problem. The problem is called side stream smoke, and it's the smoke that comes off the tip of the cigarette, which the smoker is exposed to plus everyone within 20 feet is exposed to. Now, when you're just holding a cigarette, the smoke that comes off the tip of that cigarette is formed at a lower temperature, which causes more cancer-causing substances to be created, versus if you're inhaling, you're pulling oxygen through it, that tip is glowing at a high, is um, burning at a higher temperature, all right? And then this goes through the filter, and it's filtered by the smoker's body. Now, I want every smoker to, to look, the next time they have a cigarette, I want you to compare the color of smoke coming out of your mouth 
which is kind of a whitish gray, and the color of the smoke coming off the tip of the cigarette, it's a bluish gray. And there is a difference, and that's the problem is what's coming off the tip of that cigarette because it's not being filtered by anything. And so, yes, the smoker is breathing in that smoke also. The other thing to realize is 95% of the components of smoke you can't see or smell. You know, I'm sitting in a room right now that there's oxygen floating around, but there's different chemicals in your air. You can't see it, you can't smell it, but it's there. And that's the danger with um, secondhand smoke. Now, there are a few cases of lung cancer being caused by secondhand smoke. My father actually had bladder cancer caused from secondhand smoke. He had never been a smoker, but he was diagnosed with bladder cancer, which is also caused by exposure to smoke. And he had been around um, my mother who smoked, and then he had a real estate office, which everyone there smoked. But realistically, it leads to heart disease. Um, you know, cancer is dose-related. The more you smoke, the longer you smoke, the more likely you are to develop a cancer from that. And same as with secondhand smoke. But most sec- people are not around secondhand smoke like my father was, you know, 24 hours a day. But heart, our heart disease is not dose-related. And oftentimes when smokers cut down, they think they're doing really good. Oh, I've cut back. I'm only smoking five cigarettes a day, which helps their exposure to the carcinogens. But when it comes to heart disease, it's not a linear response. And your actual um, risk, 80, 50 to 80% of your risk is within the first three to five cigarettes and it damages your blood vessels. So we've got to, you know, think about the other health effects from smoking. It's not just cancer, but it's also heart disease. So most of the people who are being affected by secondhand smoke are children and people who have any risk for heart disease. So um, that's the real problem with secondhand smoke. So I encourage everyone out there, you know, if you're going to, if you, are still continuing to smoke, please don't smoke around others, and please don't smoke around children. Their bodies are still growing. They're more likely to um, have it trigger asthma. They're more likely to have ear infections, coughing, respiratory infections, bronchitis. Um, If you're smoking around an infant, it is a cause of um, sudden infant death syndrome. So it's really important not to smoke around other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good reason to think about either quitting or, like you said, not smoking around, around others. Um, so can you, can you pick up on, on one of the ideas that, that you th- um, mentioned before the break, which was um, the, the relapse, if you will, and you mentioned sure. that there were a couple of different stages or a couple of different reasons why people would go back to smoking after they've stopped? Yeah. There's short-term relapse and then there's long-term relapse. And short-term relapse is usually within the first 30 days. And that's usually related to a couple different factors. One, motivation. You know, I don't really want to quit. And so you use any excuse you can get to pick up a cigarette. You know, if there's, you see a smoking buddy, they offer you a cigarette, you say yes instead of, you know, trying to resist it. So one is the lack of motivation. Two is the nicotine addiction. You know, some people will have very severe nicotine withdrawal symptoms, and we've gotten it into, you know, there are some people out there that say um, cold turkey without using medications is the only way to be successful, and and that's not really true. If you're having severe withdrawal symptoms, there are medications that can be used to, to help that. No one needs 
be uncomfortable while they're going through the quitting process. Now, that's not to say that medications are going to replace your cigarette. They're not. All they do is they take the edge off of um, the cravings and the withdrawal symptoms. It gives a chance for the thinking part of your brain or your willpower to gain control over the survival instinct. And then there's the habit cigarettes. And usually with my clients, what I have them do is they break their habit cigarettes before they even quit. Now, oftentimes people say, you know, that first one in the morning with a cup of coffee, I just don't, I, you know, I, I just can't stop that. And what habit cigarettes are, they're a conditioned response. And I'm sure most people have heard of Pavlov, the scientist who taught dogs to salivate by ringing a bell. Well, that's a trigger response. The trigger was ringing a bell. The dog's response was salivate. So what nicotine has done is it's done the same conditioning to a smoker's brain. So now all you need to do is smell the coffee and the brain, that trigger, sets off the response, a craving. I want a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And so nicotine conditions so many different things. So almost anything in your environment, it can be a place, a person, an event, an emotion, a situation, a time, almost anything. It's sitting in your favorite chair. Almost anything can trigger a habit. So what we want to do is try and break the habits before that. But if not, um, you might have heard that psychologists tell us that it takes about 30 days, or three to four weeks to change a habit, three weeks. Well, what that is is that you need to sit down with a cup of coffee and not smoke 30 different times over a three-week period to break that association. Now, if during that you're, you're counting down that 30 times and you slip and you have one cigarette, your brain lights up and says, oh, well, I just need to be a little bit more patient and I'll still get my nicotine. But you can train your brain to not associate that. You know, many smokers, maybe when they got a new car, they stop smoking in their car. And um, after a while, it doesn't even trigger a, re- uh, a need to, to smoke in it anymore. So that's short-term relapse. Now, long-term relapse is after a smoker starts feeling normal. When a very, within a very short period of time, you're going to start feeling like, okay, I got this handle. Boy, you know, and you kind of get a little bit, you know, cocky and, you know, the world doesn't fall apart and um, you're able to feel pretty normal and yet you're still at a high risk for relapse um, because what ends up happening is you haven't learned how to really live your life as a non-smoker. In other words, how do you deal with long-term intense stress? You know, that was me. I really am stirring chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is a highly stressful situation, at least it really was for me. And um, that's when I relapsed. And so I had no other resources of dealing with stress other than to turn to what's always been there, which is my cigarette. So strong emotions, being around other smokers, drinking alcohol, all of these can trigger a relapse, also in gaining weight. So even though you think you've got it under control, um, you don't. Now, oftentimes what ends up happening, like when I'm talking to smokers, they'll say, well, you know, I used a patch and it didn't work. And I probe into that a little bit more and say, well, well, tell me about your situation. Nicotine replacement products and the cessation medications, all they do is they help you with the physical withdrawal. And oftentimes people will say, well, you know, I used the patch and, and I said, what? led you back to the first cigarette. Well, you know, um, I was in a car accident and I had all this stress and I picked up a cigarette. Well, the patch had nothing to do with that. It Mm -hmm. had that you did not have other coping mechanisms to deal with the stress of that car accident. 
oftentimes smokers will, and when they do finally quit, they will um, give a benefit to the last method they used instead of realizing that it was an accumulation of multiple experiences where they developed many different tools. And so when I'm talking with a smoker, what I try and do is, you know, quitting smoking is like walking through a landmine. You can't even see them there. And you think you're, you know, I'm doing so great. And you go along and you step on a landmine, you blow yourself up. In other words, you smoke and have one cigarette. That's when the nicotine addiction pops up. And within a few cigarettes, you're smoking, you know, a pack again. And that's where we really underestimate that nicotine um, addiction, where smoking has changed your brain and you slip and have one, and those receptors, those special receptors in your brain that I was talking about light up and say, oh, don't tease me with one. I want the whole pack. So there's different tools that you deal with in the first, say, 30 days versus um, for the rest of your life. Yeah, thank you for that. That's helpful. And I love the idea of your, your toolbox approach and the way that you've highlighted that here. We are going to run to a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's show is sponsored in part by the Takeda Oncology Company. And we will return for our final segment right after this break. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am your guest host today, Linda House, and we have had a really full show today. Um, and we'll wrap up with this segment talking about tobacco use and cancer with BJ Slate, who is a te- tobacco treatment specialist and author of How to Win at Quitting Smoking. And BJ, you, I'm going to jump right into this. You just gave us a great overview about um, the toolbox approach and how really quitting smoking is the combination between the physical effects, the mental effects, and the behavioral um, response or effects. Um, it's really a complex issue. And I'm wondering if you could start this segment off by talking about something that is becoming more and more common, and that is the use of e-cigarettes. And I'm going to yeah. leave that open for you to start with. I think um, the future of electronic cigarettes is, is very good, and I think that as more research is done on them, this may prove to be an effective cessation method. However, at this time, most of them are made overseas in China, and there's no manufacturing standards over there, and, so we, and we don't have any long-term studies. So while the proponents of electronic cigarettes are saying that this is a good way to quit smoking, the, the truth is we really don't know. And there are questions about the components of the e-liquid and the device themselves. Because they're made in China, um, boy, they're, they're substandard. Uh, manufacturing. We've had some where the batteries have blown up. Um, actually, when pe- they were in people's mouths, they've blown up. With the e-liquid, they're saying that it all it only has flavoring and nicotine and propanol glycol, and it's not even the nicotine that's the real problem. It is the flavorings that they have in there. You know, most of the time they'll say that it's FDA approved. Well, the flavorings are FDA approved as a food additive where you're eating it. But when it's smoked, it becomes a totally different chemical. For example, uh, for example, cinnamon. If you, I mean, I love cinnamon cookies. That's fine. Um, it's not going to hurt you. But when you smoke cinnamon, it turns into a different component, and it it is toxic. So we have a lot of questions about that. What I really encourage people who are are thinking about the electronic cigarette is talk to your doctor about the nicotine inhaler. It is by prescription only. Now, the difference between an electronic cigarette and the other nicotine products are we have a lot of research and there are manufacturing standards. We know what works with nicotine replacement, whereas we do not have that information with electronic cigarettes yet. We may have that in the future, so it may change, but I really suggest that you go with an approved FDA device. And oftentimes with nicotine replacement products, part of the problem is you're not using enough of it. In my book, I go in there and talk about all the different reasons why cessation medications don't work, and one of them is is that people aren't using enough of them because it is a different 
um, you do get different amounts. Basically, when you're smoking a cigarette, you are freebasing nicotine. There is nothing that is going to come even close to satisfying um, your brain as if you were freebasing it. So, mm-hmm. But I, okay. I don't encourage the use of nicotine, electronic cigarettes, but I do encourage you to talk to your doctor about nicotine replacement. Great. Thank you. And in the three minutes that we have left in the show, just to reinforce... Um, it's, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is clearly something that you need to talk with your healthcare team about because it is a very complex issue and it requires both the question of support in a medicinal way. So are there medications that the healthcare professional could give you to help you through some of the, the challenging times or the, the cravings or the anxiety, but there's also that that um, piece of the toolbox that you mentioned, which is the behavioral response and how can you start to develop coping mechanisms that would help you either quit smoking or if you experience a stressful event that would cause you to relapse and go back into smoking. Absolutely. You need the medicinal support. Talk to your healthcare providers. You also need the behavioral support. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW and you can get free telephone counseling. There are also great Internet resources, one that I like is becomeanx.org, and that's become, A-N-A-N-X-E-X, becomeanx.org, and they have online support groups, and that's a great place also to get um, good information. Great. So I'm just going to repeat those for um, our listeners, and I'm going to start with your book, which, again, thank you so much for making your book available to our listeners. And um, I think I'm going to order a copy for myself to have to give out to people when I hear them really struggling with their, their smoking cessation. It sounds incredible. So the email address is V as in victory, J, Slate, S as in Sam, L, E, I, G, H, T, at C as in cat, S as in Sam dot com. So all one word, VJ Slate at CS dot com. And all you have to do is mention the show and VJ will provide a copy of her book to you. And VJ, you also mentioned a 1-800 number, which is 1-800-QUIT-NOW, which is uh, an extremely helpful telephone number for people to have. And then I also heard you mention a, an email, or I mean, I'm sorry, a website called becomeanx.org, B-E-C-O-M-E-A-N-E-X.org. And I'll also mention that our helpline counselors will have a list of these resources. So if you weren't quick enough to write those down, if you call our helpline, which is 888-793-9355 and ask one of the counselors about the resources given during this show, we will make sure that they will be able to give those to you. VJ, two minutes left. Any last words? Don't give up. Smokers often come, um, they, be, they become discouraged because it is so hard to quit smoking and they try and they relapse and they try again and they relapse. And, you know, look at me. I, I've quit for at least nine times and the thing of it is, is you just don't give up. It's kind of like Edison said, I've just found a thousand ways the light bulb didn't work. You just have to figure out what will work for you. And that's what my book does is it kind of walks you through. It shows you where the pitfalls are, and it tells you exactly what to do. And I think also, and more importantly, 
shows you where you're lying to yourself. We have a great deal of denial in about our smoking, and we need to get really honest if you want to make any changes in your life. And that applies to smoking, starting an exercise program, or eating right. It's time to get honest with yourself and be kind to yourself and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll add, don't be ashamed. Yes, absolutely. Shame and guilt are very common emotions that smokers mm-hmm. feel. Guilt that I'm doing something wrong and shame, I mean guilt, let me start that over again. Guilt and shame are very common emotions for smokers. Guilt that, oh, geez, I really don't want to quit smoking. And shame is that there's something wrong with me, that I'm doing something wrong. And neither are true. Just understand how addictive nicotine is and what a power it has and that it's hijacked your brain. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And we certainly appreciate the resources that you provided. And we look forward to working with you in the future to getting more of those out for for patients. This is today's show. We are um, asking you that if you have ideas for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, that you share those ideas with you. If you drop us an email at news at cancersupportcommunity.org, we will make sure and incorporate incorporate those into some of our talks. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs or to hear more about this particular show, please visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location near you, or you can also call our telephone helpline. Again, that number is 888-793-9355 to speak with a licensed mental health professional Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Until the next time, be well, do well, and live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.